0: Greetings, you've landed at the VUC, IP Communications and VoIP Community. We would like to thank SimWood.com for their support. SimWood can turn you as a developer into a telco. Our hosted PBX is from OnSip.com, and you can go to GetOnSip.com for a URL people can click to call you. We've been privileged over the last five years to be using the best conference bridge on the planet. Yes, I'm talking about ZipDX.com, full-color, full-featured, full-HD conference bridge. Our website, VUC.ME on the web's hosted by Bluehost.com. And our worldwide local rate dial-ins are from Voxbone.com. This is VUC569, and I just have a little announcement before we bring on our guest, which is Indie, I-N-D dot I-E, Aral Balkan. But before we do that, I have a, here we go, Tad Hack, Paris, December 12th. Our regulars are going to be there. Right, James? I'm putting you on camera.
1: Yes, Andy and I will both be there, and this time, Mister Tim, Tim Pant. Timbo will be there as well. Mr. Yep. Santa Claus himself.
0: Exactly. And here's a shot of Andy. Now, here's our guest, Aral Balkan. Uh, it took me maybe nine months to get you on. Hi. Hello. Hi, Randy. How are you? Everything is everything. We're just trying to get there. We go. I actually have myself on now. So, we're going to be talking about a lot of things because uh, the IND.ie, which you need to go to right now and take a look at, has a lot of interesting ideas and philosophies. I'm going to turn it over to you with the question. You're the co-founder. Let's talk about the genesis, first of all, of the entire project. Can we do that?
2: Sure.
3: indie has been around for about two years now. Um, and uh, it started out uh, as, I guess, part of my own evolution as someone who's just been making things with technology uh, ever since I was seven years old. Um, initially, in a very hedonistic way, just games to make myself happy. Um, because there weren 't that many games on the IBM XT computer that my dad brought home, but there was a basic manual um, and then slowly realizing That's that first the of all that of I, the entire um, can have uh, real effects on on people. So um, on their lives can affect them positively or negatively. Uh can empower them or enfeeble them. Um, and then just a slow realization that perhaps a lot of the things that we make in the mainstream, a lot of the things that we uh that come out of Silicon Valley, while they could be great experiences um, that empower you in the here and now, that they uh might have ramifications for our human rights and for democracy in the long term. Um, so to give you an example, uh, Google Maps is a great product. Um, if you're if you're lost, if you want to get somewhere, you can look it up on Google Maps and it will get you there. That empowers you in the here and now. But what's the cost? The cost is that Google gets to know where you're going. Google gets to know about you um, and uses that information to prop up its bottom line. That's how they make their money. That's their core business model, knowing as much about you as possible. And so for me, it was this personal journey of realizing I don't want to contribute to this model. And unfortunately, this is the mainstream model today. So it's very hard not to work in technology and not contribute to it. Um, And so that's why I started Indy.
0: Let me ask you a question uh, directly regarding pretty much Google, but also all of this stuff. You and I were talking. We're going to get into that as well, the mailing lists and the whole um, monetizing of the data. But... um, Regarding uh regarding Google, I wondered if you had read or were familiar with the book Private Parts by uh Jeff uh whatever his name is. Can no. anybody remember no. that name? Uh, who's a professor of uh journalism in New York? Anyway, he is a his thing yeah. is his thing is basically, well, there's not you know, nothing's gonna be private in the future. Let's enjoy and, I mean, this is one side of the conversation. Uh, let's enjoy the fact that uh, we can use maps. They're free. I mean, if you think about how cost, costly it was for them to acquire the maps and then to keep them going right. and all of that, blah, blah, blah. You know, I have a, uh, devil's advocate here. Uh, a lot of people sign into that, and they're okay with it, and that's that's it. Now, what you're saying is, is 100% true, even more true, because if you look, they keep adding stuff so that you can look at, for example – Every place you've been in the last month, and now they know it, and now you can know it. Isn't that nice? <laughs> they're, sharing, they're sharing your data with you.
3: Well, it sounds like, I mean, there are a lot of issues that you brought up there, actually. It's not just one. Um, starting with, in the future uh, or today, none of us will have privacy, and we should, be, we should get used to that. If that was true, maybe I'd have less of an issue with it. If I didn't have any privacy, you didn't have any privacy, the NSA didn't have any privacy, and Google didn't have any privacy, then maybe that's a more level playing field. But whereas we think that it's natural perhaps today for Google to know everything about us, that we volunteered, or maybe don't know that we volunteered because certain sensors are picking things up that we didn't realize we were volunteering, um, or uh, if, if – we might think that it's natural for you know, the government to know things about us. A lot of us don't. Um, but what we can't do is I can't take a camera and walk into Google Incorporated's offices and say, hey, Google, uh, let me take a look at you know what you guys are doing. I'd be arrested. I can't walk into the NSA and say, hey, let me just look at some of this paperwork that you guys have. I'd be arrested. So what we have is kind of a bizarro world. Where the very people who have a right to privacy, because it's a human right, which are individuals, don't have it. And the institutions which don't have a right to privacy and which should actually, in a democratic uh, environment, be transparent and open, uh, corporations and governments do have a right to privacy. So we're kind of living in a bizarre world today. Um, That's that's just one of those, you know, the issues, the, the initial issues.
0: And it's exactly the same thing as when you call. This has happened to me. You call somebody, and they say uh, the call is recorded. First, you get a a recording saying this call may be recorded for quality control purposes. Then when the live operator comes on and says, "Uh, hi, my name is Jay. Uh, This call may be recorded for quality control purposes. I have said, that's fine because I'm recording it too. They go, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to hang up. (laughs)
3: there you go. So, you know, to, to get to the premise of that book that you were talking about, the
0: premise
3: uh, is false. Uh, everything isn't public. Um, only our information as individuals uh, is public today. Um, and that's because these systems have been designed very much in line with a certain business model that benefits from our information being public. But this has chilling effects. This has chilling effects for freedom of speech. This has, uh, if everything is public, then that alters your behavior, right? This was kind of the premise of 1984. Um, if you know that someone is watching, whether it's Big Brother or Big Corporation, uh, you alter your behavior. People already do this. You know, we say uh, the other point that you raised was, well, people don't care, right? Um, I don't believe that. People are actively being lied to. When you go and use a Google product, it doesn't say, hey, by the way, you know that we're, you know, monetizing your information, that we are profiling you, and that's how we make money. No, it says, here are our features. Here's what you're going to get out of it. Um, really focus on that. And there are millions being spent by these corporations to create a very specific narrative. The Google doodles, right? How could they do anything bad when they have such cute doodles? You know, yeah. but this is part of, you know, there are people who are employed at Google um, whose titles are storyteller. What is the story that they're telling, and why?
0: Well, also, there recently was a gathering of, um, I forgot how, what they call it, but they're major contributors, people like you and me. Well, not you, I guess. But uh, I do a lot of posting on Google, and I admit that I have uh, given them a lot. And I was just using Maps yesterday. I mean, I get all that. It's not necessarily that I'm thrilled with it. I feel that we can always turn it off or turn the phone off or uninstall the app. Uh, you can probably attack that premise in just a second. But um, what I was going to say is let's not stop at Google. Let's talk Facebook and let's talk everything else. Uh, and also there's been quite a few new entries of one of which is, is L-O-E-L-L-O. Who uh, yeah. you know has no invest? Well, there was a minor scandal when they first started, but as far as I know, they are not mining anybody's data. But I don't know. Anyway, let's. Who else? And who? What would you call the most insidious? Would you dare to make a comment on that?
3: Well, I think you touched upon what the real issue is. The real problem is much more than any one of these companies using this business model. The real problem is all of these companies are using the same. So you might say you have a choice, turn off Google, okay fine, I'm not going to use any of Google's products, but I still need to search the web. So what should I use? Yahoo. What's Yahoo's business model? Oh, it's the same, it's to profile me, it's to surveil me, it's to track me and to create a profile. Okay, so I don't use Yahoo. Uh, what do I use? Do I use Snapchat? Do I use Instagram? All the same business model. So it, at one point, we're coming, we're getting to a point where the decision that we're really being presented with is either consent to being profiled, to being monetized, to being the product, um, to being farmed, or don't use modern technology. Because what we're building today, these products, these everyday things are our new sidewalks, our new roads, our new parks, and we, we view them as public spaces, but they're not. They're private property. We might think of them as parks, but they're actually shopping malls. And if the owner of a shopping mall doesn't like what your t-shirt says, they they are well within their rights to chuck you out. You have no right to freedom of speech within private property. You have The only rights you have are what the owners of that private property uh, allow you to have. So the real question we have to ask ourselves is what kind of future are we building where all of our new everyday things are shopping malls and not parks, where, you know, these things that we use for carrying out uh, conversations that are central to democratic agency are all private property. I mean, this is, this is this, I think you, you touched upon this. We can't turn them off. They're not just optional I anymore.
0: Mean, and this explains uh, to a great extent a few people Uh, Who I do, I wouldn't say business with I'm talking about, for example, music artists There are many people who Are not at all connected to the internet To the point, I mean, they have an internet connection But they don't use any apps Or any kind of communications at all And it's even It's even difficult to get them on email Um, (laughs) And uh, The same people are hard to get on SMS as well Actually, but at least they look at that Once in a while and and can't be Can't be Can't be uh, without a phone all day they eventually get to uh, looking at the message at least at some point but I, I actually have that problem and i i think the counter problem is that i'm too much on the internet and spend too much time and i think everybody here is <laughs> guilty of that actually too we're all on 50 million channels uh james Bodie for example who's with us he's on uh, i don't know how many Phone numbers he's got, none of them ever answered, but he's got all his phone numbers. He's on a million hangouts.
1: Oh, that, yeah, that's not true, right? Not 100% true, uh, is it? You keep on saying, you, you I'll re- also awesome my calls, but that may be because I don't want
0: to answer them. I Ooh. have the choice. Okay. Um, what do you think of all this business about, you because you're on Facebook, right, uh, James? You can unmute and... Yeah, I, yeah,
1: I am. And uh, is that well, your mi-
0: it, Where do you spend the most time? Facebook, wire...
1: I'm all all over the place, and, and people who know me say, yeah, that sounds about right. You're all over the place. I'm omnipresent. I use multiple streams all the time. Um, and Andy and I have got a rule, which is we're not allowed to use the same communication means twice in a row. Which forces us to to continually revolve and use different communications means because it's a healthy thing to do. Um, I would hate to be stuck using one single communication means only. I, I start getting worried, and uncomfortable.
0: And we often use wire, which is, uh, they tell us encrypted and so on. And, um,
1: uh, I, and we use we use st- matrix. Yeah, I'm I'm using matrix now. Right. Uh, to take the IRC, um, the VUC IRC.
0: But the question is, how are they? Uh, and uh, I'm going to. Pre- Warren, so, and, I'm going to warn Andy Abramson that he's going to be on in a second so he can start thinking about what he wants to say. Uh, but before that, I just wanted to ask all of these new services that come up, including Wire, which we all love and use. Uh, nobody really <laughs> knows. How are they going to ever pay for all those guys that are and, and women who are uh, working on the code? What's the model here? Do we, we don't know. And, they, of course, they've not said. Do you have any idea? I mean, question.
3: You should be asking, what is your business model? especially if uh, you're told that something is free, because you know it's not free. So what is your business model? And if the answer is we don't know yet, then their business model is to harm you. I have to to correct you.
0: If the answer is we don't know yet, you're talking to Twitter.
3: Well, no, they know know how they're going to make money. Um,
0: And And they do generate money.
3: It's a euphemism. Or at some point when the network effects have kicked in, we're going to monetize you.
0: Right, Andy Abramson. Since you're here, I know you got something to say.
4: They're built to flip. Yeah. The company, just this is the Wired, wires is a built to flip model, which is what they did successfully with Skype twice, three times. Think about the the first flip to eBay and then the second flip to um, to um, Silver, or whatever they're called, the um, uh, the VC fund after Index screwed up. And then along came Microsoft that took all this foreign money that was sitting outside the U.S., $9 billion, and brought it back into the U.S. to put more revenue on the books. And now what we see is Skype isn't even what we remember. But Wire is clearly building the flip because there is no revenue model. You can't dial out yet. You don't have numbers. So there's no revenue coming in. There's no ads being pushed through it, so there's no ad revenue. So what are they really doing? They're building a tool. And right now I actually think that a lot of what they're doing is behavioral testing. And seeing how people behave and uh, what they embrace and what they adopt, they're learning. They're they're not they're not worrying about they've got Giannis's money. So what you know he made how much money on Skype each time. So what's their, they don't have to worry about cash. They have to worry about is what people are going to do with it.
3: So they're basically in a lab and they're watching what the lab rats do. And the lab rats in this scenario are us. And this is the Silicon Valley model. Um, It's fueled by venture capital. It's based on exits. Um, I mean, the moment you get venture capital, the way that it works is you've sold your company. The sale isn't complete, but you've sold all of your future users. That's what someone's paid you for, you know, either to complete that sale to another company, like a larger company, like Andy was saying, um, or to IPO. But at the very beginning, we've sold. We can't build long-term sustainable businesses this way because we've sold from day zero. And that's, that's one of the core problems that we have with this model. We need alternatives to this funding model as well.
1: Okay. Well, this is where I'd ask you, Aral, what motivates you? I mean, you've, you've sold a, a family asset to, to finance Building Heartbeat. Yeah. Uh, where's that going? How's that going to, how's that going to work? And what, what, what's motivating you?
3: The thing that motivates me is I want to create the kind of world that I want to live in. I think we're all very privileged in that we, to varying various degrees, um, have that ability. Um, so I don't need a home in Ankara, which is what we sold to get this thing started. Um, I do need to live in a world where I have human rights, and I would like to live in a democracy and not a corporate democracy. So that's what motivates me. Um, I don't want to live in a world where my only options as someone who loves making things designing things and building things, is to build them for Google or for Facebook with the ultimate aim of farming people. Um, I don't want to be a people farmer. That is not why I do this. Uh, so I want to build things that truly empower people uh, and respect their human rights, uh, create things that empower them great great experiences but without eroding their human rights. That's what motivates me, and it's a selfish motivation. This is not... Uh, this isn't uh, in, in any way philanthropic. This is selfish. I want to live in that world, therefore I do what I do. Um, and we just sold our share in another uh, property that my family had, a smaller one. I mean, we're not rich. My my, my dad's a professor, um, and my mom's uh, trained as a librarian. Uh, but, you know, the first one was a cooperative that we paid into for 30 years. The second one was uh, a family... Uh, a, a property that we had a share of from our family um, but you know uh, we don't take venture capital so we have to subsidize what we're doing until we become sustainable the goal is to become sustainable of course.
1: and the um, question is how are you going to become sustainable
3: so right now I'm working on a second app which I haven't announced yet um, as uh, one of two apps that we're going to have one is heartbeat and the other is this one Whereas Heartbeat is an alternative in the sense of here's how we could be doing things differently in a social platform, this app is more how do we stop the abuses of the current mainstream. So these two apps, uh, this this app is going to be available for sale on the App Store, so kind of a very indie model, a very old model of here's a product, please buy it. For Heartbeat, uh, the next version, instead of getting your name on Heartbeat, like uh, us acting as an identity server and saying, a provider and saying, okay, you can be a RAW because no one else is a RAW, and then uh, you're a RAW on Heartbeat. In the next version, that's going to be a domain name. Uh, one that we can register seamlessly in, in the sign up process. And then if you want an always on encrypted node, uh, we can host that end to end encrypted. We can host that. And that's going to be our business model. Uh, and if, it's free and open. So if you don't want to host it with us, don't. If you have the technical knowledge, host it elsewhere. There will be other competitors, hopefully, that host it if it takes off. Um, but we will we will be competing on the seamlessness of the experience. If you don't want to care about that and just put in your credit card number, for example, and say, okay, I'll pay you X amount a year to host my encrypted node, there's our business model. So it's a much older business model. We sell products, not people. And that was great timing on flipping that slide over to the ethical design manifesto.
0: Yeah, I-, I was thinking we could go there now. You can comment on this. <laughs> this was not scripted. Not at all. Um,
3: Yeah, I mean, in terms of what motivates us, uh, we just released the Ethical Design Manifesto to try and articulate that in in the simplest possible way. Um, It is to sell products, not people. You know, ethical design, it basically, uh, I based it on uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, uh, something that initially uh, Aaron Walters did uh, for design, but starting with, at its very core, a respect for human rights. That's where mainstream technologies, that's where Silicon Valley falls flat. We're building products that don't respect human rights. And when we do that, we're not building products for people, we're building products on the backs of people. So, of course, we don't stop there. We have to build things that respect human effort, that are functional, reliable, that work, uh, and, and work well, and are convenient, and then respect human experience. Build things that are delightful, um, so it's not that we build different products that meet one or more of these uh, criteria. It is building products that are cross-section, that, that cover a cross-section of this. Um, but if we get the base wrong, the rest of it really doesn't matter. And, and that's key. Um, so, you know, this, <laughs> this is...
1: This is <laughs> really uh, sorry, I, go ahead. I, the, rig- the, rig- uh, the That echo is coming back again. So can you just mute and unmute again, and that will re-center re- the... Uh, the, uh, the yeah, there's is an
0: issue with uh, echo cancellation. Arl, you're going to have to mute now because Chrome um, dies. The echo cancellation kind of dies after a certain yeah. time. And now you're coming back. Okay, go ahead, Jim. Yeah,
1: that's right. If you mute and then come back again, it should sort it out. So there's some really good word word bites in here. Design without diversity is imperialism. I love that one. I think I'm going to print that out and put it on the wall. Um, it sounds... Sounds a bit like Apple, doesn't it? Design without diversity, because uh, it, within Apple there's only one way of doing it, and it's it's the Johnny Ive way of doing it, which is absolutely brilliant. I, Johnny Ive is one of my heroes. Um, but you know what? Going back to your um, your 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 pyramid there, that looks remarkably similar to some of the the ethics that at the core of uh, of Google's uh, Google's way of doing business, because they know that if as soon as they start doing really evil stuff the backlash from the global population will totally kill them so Google cannot afford to do anything particularly evil so they have to respect human rights they have to respect human effort and they have to respect human experience because if they don't they're dead what do you say about that
3: Um, so there's a difference between Authentically being committed to ethical design and public relations. So the only thing that you have to analyze to understand where Google is coming from is their business model. Um, you don't need any convoluted conspiracy theories. How do they make their money? They make their money by tracking people, by profiling people, and then monetizing that. Not necessarily selling it to anyone else, monetizing it themselves. Um, we are their raw materials. We are what they mine and refine and monetize. That is not in any way compatible with respecting the market. So, of course, like I said, they spend millions and millions creating a narrative. Um, and they invest in things like open source. Uh, but open source does not equate to freedom. Uh, open source can be open as in public relations, it can be open as an open for business. Um, If they were truly an open company, of course, they would open-source their core products, none of which are open-source. So uh, I I think it's important to understand what their core business model is and then to ask, is that compatible with a respect for human rights? Now, to take you back to what you were saying about the Ethical Design Manifesto, though, uh, you pulled out a very interesting uh, bit there, uh, design without diversity um, being uh, colonialist in nature. Um, I think it's 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 very ironic um given that uh today we're having this conversation. Uh I think there's is there five of us here? And I'm not sure if you guys can see the screen with everyone on there, but we seem to share a common characteristic. Does anyone want to point out what that is? Uh
1: all of us apart from you, Errol,
3: are old. Well there is
1: <laughs> I well, except for Mr. Andy Abramson, who's eternally young.
3: Isn't possibly one more thing that is even more
1: striking than that. Well, we're all male. We're all male, but um, but we tried to get Laura on, didn't we? <laughs> get Laura on straight away. Come on. Um, I,
3: and and I think it's very important that we realize that this is part of the problem that we have in our industry. Um, and by this, I mean what we're trying to tackle is at least what we're trying to work towards, is to create a more decentralized world, a more sustainable world. One where we're not practicing design in a colonialist way. And what I mean by that is, a design by its very nature um, is a group of people together trying to solve a problem for another group of people. Now, if the first group, the designers, are of a certain demographic, and the people that they are designing for is of a very different demographic, Then we get an ethnographic uh, approach to design, where we have the other. So we are, say, a group of, let's say we're a design team right now. Um, We're all white guys, right? We all have a very shared culture. We have certain viewpoints that are probably quite similar. Um, And we are designing for, say, a diverse audience. For us, they are the other. We have to study them. We have to kind of understand what makes them tick. Uh, It's a very short step from calling them users to calling them dumb users when they're the other. There's an approach that we can take that's the opposite of this. What if, instead of five, five white guys sitting here today, it was a diverse panel, and say we were designing a solution. By designing for ourselves as a diverse organization, we would be designing for a diverse audience. That is the opposite of colonialist design. That is the opposite of ethnographic design. So that bit in the uh, manifesto about diversity isn't necessarily about, uh, you know, design by committee or anything. No, it's about uh, making our organizations diverse so that we can design for diverse audiences without being ethnographic in how we carry that out. And I think this is really key. We have to understand this this is key in trying to achieve the goal that we're trying to to, to go for. Uh, a lot of Silicon Valley design is very ethnographic in its nature. It's, it's very colonialist in its nature. I mean we get things like uh, internet.org from Facebook or whatever they're calling it today you know where we say hey the white man will bring the fire to places that the fire doesn't exist in but terms and conditions may apply. So that's that's the kind of effects that it has. Um, I think we need to all step back and it's it's hard to do. It's hard for us to you know uh, I, I know this firsthand. I, I grew up in, in a very privileged way, um, and for the longest time, never uh, examined that privilege, um, and was very happy with it. Um, and I think it's, it, it's sometimes a long process. It's sometimes a very introspective process, but one that we all have to, to some degree engage in and make an effort to create a more diverse, um, to, to create more diverse organizations and groups, not as a charity but to realize that this is competitive advantage for us if we are trying to build these new products for diverse audiences in a way that doesn't take advantage of them. And
0: there's, uh, and there's uh, Jay, 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 Carpenter. Jay Carpenter. Oop, I'm getting the, yeah. Jay, hello. Jay Carpenter uh, in IRC asked if uh, Indy is using or planning to use blockchain technology. And blockchain technology is something that um, I've heard of, but I have absolutely not the first idea of what it is.
3: Okay, so uh, blockchain. Um, blockchain is, is interesting for certain use cases uh, where you do need a shared ledger uh, that doesn't require trust. Um, it is not the only way to build decentralized systems. So for what we're building with Heartbeat right now, um, blockchain is not necessary. Uh, it is a peer-to-peer system that we've built. Um, And in some ways, actually, uh, that is superior to a blockchain-based solution. So for example, let's say that we were encrypting all of our messages and we were keeping it on the blockchain. uh, And we use state-of-the-art encryption today. For, say, the NSA to come uh, and to get a list of all of those messages, or to get all of those messages, they would just have to download the blockchain, whichever one that we're using. And they would have all the messages encrypted. And maybe they couldn't decrypt it today, but in five years time or in 10 years time, uh, you know, when IBM and Google's quantum computer is up and running and quantum computing becomes maybe, uh, more affordable for, for other agencies, uh, and they have a quantum computer, they could trivially break the encryption that we're using today and they would have all the messages in one place. Whereas with Heartbeat being peer to peer, they, if we have a, a million people using Heartbeat, the, the messages would be in a million different places. And they would actually have to go to a million different places to get all of those messages. So depending on what you're building, uh, if you're building you know uh, trustless contracts, etc., great blockchain sounds like a great idea for that. Uh, but I think there's a lot of hype around blockchain, and people seem to sometimes confuse decentralization with blockchain or for, for a need for blockchain. Um, I see blockchain as something that we might layer on top So things like IPFS, the Interplanetary File System, uh, is very interesting. It's a a um, blockchain-based kind of permanent web, which might be interesting for public messages uh, that we don't want uh, anyone to be able to take down, uh, so that if someone targets you because you're you're talking about a certain subject that a government might feel, uh, maybe a repressive government feels that you shouldn't be talking about, um, on IPFS they would have to take it down from um, as many nodes as there are so maybe layering that on top would be interesting but I'm definitely not of the mind that um, blockchain is the end all be all of decentralization um, it is a design decision just like anything else, uh, where it makes sense we might layer it on and use it at its core, heartbeat is peer to peer so, okay.
1: so Aral, how are you um, achieving um, the cryptographic overlay on, on HeartBeat, and in particular, how are you doing the, the crypto changes, because they're they're the key bit um, involved in, in keeping everything secure. What's, what's the plan? How, how do you do it?
3: So um, at its core, HeartBeat uses a fork of SyncThing. Um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with SyncThing. It is a uh, peer-to-peer file synchronization service. Um, so where at rest, Currently, um, in the latest into, uh, the, the code that we have, at rest, um, any encryption that exists is, is uh, external. So, for example, it's a Mac application, so if you have full disk encryption on your Mac, then it is encrypted at rest. Um, and during transit, uh, we use SSL um, and TLS, actually, of course, uh, during transit. So um, there is a negotiation that SyncThing does, a public-private key-style uh, um, uh, negotiation, um, but basically what we're doing is file transfers, um, decentralized, think of it as a as sync thing as decentralized, free and open source, BitTorrent sync. And every message that is sent, like you're seeing some messages that Randy had sent, is actually a tiny snippet of HTML that is saved onto the file system and synchronized through the system. So you see text here, but that could be a, a video that's a few gigabytes. Uh, the interface really is you save. That is your API for for how to use this. You save a message onto the hard drive, and that synchronizes via sync. Then. So that's the core of it.
1: So are you saying that you are, you're running a, an architecture with a centralized or a number of centralized key servers which um, uh, deal with the cryptographic key distribution?
3: No. Um, the, the way the two nodes communicate uh, is you need to have... Uh, you basically have a um, you have to authenticate on both sides. So uh, when I'm I, I want to be friends with you on heartbeat, right? So I send you a friend request, and you say, "Okay, oral yes, I accept that." And I have to say, "Yes, I accept the the by sending you the friend request, I've said I accept." So both ends actually um, have to agree for that connection to exist to begin with.
1: Okay. Well, one of the big problems there is. How how do you actually know that the person who's asking to be your friend actually is the person that you know?
3: You don't. Um, so if you need to uh, if you need to uh, verify that, like in any, in, in other systems, uh, you would go out of band uh, to verify it. Uh, you do not know, and that's not a problem that I'm I'm actually trying to solve with this. Uh, I, I think that's a, a very different problem and one that I don't think we would be able to solve. Um, mm-hmm. One of the things that, with the next version of having your own domain name, is that might be somewhat easier to verify because you could yeah. look up who is records, etc. But I think, you know, if you're, if that is something that is important for you, uh, I think that's a phone call. For-
0: but th- that that is the major issue of the day, though. Uh, I just posted a. Uh, I post on Google Plus just to show people what to look for. I got a thing that was already marked by Google as spam, yet another service of Google, reading all your email entirely, letter for letter. I mean, it's machine doing that, supposedly. But And then one of the benefits is that they're really good at spam detection. Anyway, this thing was a very, very authentic-looking thing saying, your iTunes account has been suspended. Uh it's you know it's an old ruse that's you know people use but this just was for once had no grammar mistakes and so on it looked really really good and basically most people would go well first of all you have to have an iTunes account just like when they sent the bank stuff around but the, but the point is uh anyway you're looking at the email. Not that many people are capable of looking at the email. You either look at the source or you look at where these links are going. Well, in the case of Google, what they did is they've done this for you, and they know it's crap. <laughs> Even though it looked really good, they already knew by the return URLs to click on or whatever, they not only they neutralized the URLs and so on. Point being, though, other than Google, who have read all this stuff and gotten reports from probably millions of people uh, saying this is a phishing attempt, Um, if James, if I get a call, James, you called uh, earlier today with some wacky name that I had no idea who that was.
1: Yeah, it's always different. If you see something random coming into
2: your phone.
0: It's James. It's normal. (laughs) No, but the point, my point is uh, that your question was an excellent one. But Raoul's answer is actually true. You almost have to go out of channel. I mean, by definition, if you're not going out of channel, there's always a chance of some kind of man in the middle, isn't there? Um, yeah, well, there, there are
1: things you can use. I mean, the, the matrix.org approach is a really good way of doing it. Let's hear um, it. Um, But you know what? I'm not going to talk about that because we've got shows. We've got Matthew and Daniel to do that. But there are other ways of doing it. Like these things. I have a, oh, where are I? Over here. a pile of these things. High-grade high crypto in these. Um, and they're very, very difficult to get at. And there's a level of trust Associated with these that make it well virtually impossible to forge these.
0: So you've uh, got okay, you've got a SIM card there, but the, uh, still, um, how how does that relate to the problem of of um, authentic the, of knowing of, who's knowing calling you? Identity here. We're we're not. So what I can
3: say to you is, this person on India Today, in the way that's architected, uh, that says that they're a ral, uh, is a ral. Um, because they are signing on with the same device that they signed on with initially. Um, so that's that I can authenticate in that way. But I can't prove that the person that is saying that their Aural has the, the handle a is actually a Raw Balkan, uh, born on this date and you know, of this height and etc. And at that point, you know, if I was to try and do that, I would have to become an identity provider of some sort, uh, beyond what I'm doing. Uh, and, and that is something that I don't ever want to get into. And that's, yeah, it's that's
1: something great. I want to get into because we, we've got these things and we've got these things which read your fingerprint. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and then we've got voice analysis. And there are lots of things we can do. And each one is not perfect. But if you run them together, layer upon layer upon layer, the, the chances of somebody being able to do a, a Mission Impossible type. Um, penetration of your systems, um, gets less and less with each layer you put on top. So, uh, yeah,
0: I think, the sol- I think the solution to this problem is very simple. My wife and I have done this after watching Invasion from Mars, where the people are taken over by uh, aliens. <laughs> Not literally, uh, we didn't really do this then, but we were saying you need a code word that only that person is the only person on the planet who knows that. And all these science fiction movies where somebody's been taken over by somebody else, that would be solved. My wife and I have the code word. I go, what's the code word? Uh, okay, bullet to the head, if she doesn't know, right? Anyway, joking around, but the point is, this is really a big problem. It really is. And I don't see, there is no way that you can guarantee this in-channel, in-band. Um, so I feel that if you're expecting a call from somebody, that's, I mean, if you're expecting an email from somebody, And they have this big image, and you know this person very well, and you you can recognize. I mean, this is all you on the end of the receiving end, that's what I'm saying. Otherwise, you have to call that person and go, did you send me this email with a huge uh, .exe file? I mean, right? To me.
1: Or did you send me a big
0: uh, zip file
1: containing a Mac um, binary, which you invited me to... uh, to install on my Mac, and I said, "No
0: way!" And did it what, say, what, what, "Did it say, what, 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 'You won't heartbeat? believe, you won't, won't believe this photo I'm of you'? Back. I'm <laughs> you
1: not won't. putting heartbeat on my, my Mac. Thank right. you very much.
0: You I won't believe know. this photo that's circulating about. They, well, you won't say what you won't believe what they're saying about you. Here's a photo of it. Let's get back what? to <laughs> <laughs> our You've well. You've comic at my relief again, haven't you? Comic relief. Let's get back to our guest. Yes. Um, so let's take a quick look at. I had this shared, and then we got off onto a tangent a little bit. Let me go back to the share, around and we'll take a quick look at this saying in front that this is pre-beta, pre-alpha. You say so. Yeah. Um, yeah. So here's a little exchange. Uh, I became friends with Laura, which was which was nice because I've been talking to her via email for something like six yeah, months. Where is Laura? She'll she's coming, James. Hold on. We save the best for last. <laughs> so she showed that we could do a photo. I don't know what you want to say about this at all, but it's, because it's pre-alpha, I mean, here it is. It's a client. It looks nice. And, um, and we have is, a Unicode
3: character there of some sort that uh, didn't make it through, apparently. Um, what was added. that? <laughs> There's a Unicode character placeholder that didn't make oh, it through.
0: Oh, is there? I didn't... Uh...
3: um so, yeah, basically what you're doing there uh, is uh, – well, you're in your old Friends uh, folder. There's Laura saying, I'm listening. Mm-hmm. Uh, just um, so uh, you're in your old Friends folder, so you're talking uh, – so the messages there are being sent to you and all of your friends. Um, you could go on the tab underneath and uh, send a direct message directly to Laura as well if you click on her there, yeah. Um, so anything that you send there to her – uh, goes between your device and her device and nowhere else and it's encrypted with TLS in transit um so you know if i wanted to if i wanted to know what you said i would actually have to have physical access to her unlocked computer um in order to get that
0: except um, that i'm sharing the screen
3: well yes of course yeah <laughs> you're entirely violating her privacy right? i know um <laughs> But yeah, so uh, that, that's basically how it works, and that's, that's as easy, as it as difficult as it needs to be, to be perfectly honest. Um, what you're showing right now is the, the private timeline, which um, isn't very useful right now, but uh, once we support multiple devices, uh, though that timeline will only be shared among your own devices and nobody else. So you can drag files in there, etc., cetera, um, and it can act as a private Dropbox in a sense. Um, and the UI isn't perfect for that right now, um, but, you know, initially in the pre-alpha, everything looks like a timeline. In the future, those timelines uh, will evolve to be features so that your private timeline may look a lot more like Dropbox. Um, and you might have a backgammon game in addition to just a timeline, where you play backgammon with someone directly. Um, and, you- you know, in the future, who knows? Maybe we have a free and open source phone, and this is the interface that you see when the phone starts. So, you know, there are things that we have future plans for, um, but that's in the long-term future.
1: Okay. Uh, and this, yeah, and this is all open source, is it? Concept, can, right we, can, we, can we have a look at the code? <laughs> that's, that's Oscar. Because, uh, you, you know, we're, we're a little bit kind of... Um, paranoid about things. So we, we, we don't trust anything until we've actually been through the code
2: ourselves.
3: Well exactly. And that's the only thing that's worthy of your trust. The only platform, the only systems that are worthy of your trust are systems that you don't have to trust. That's why everything that we do is free and open source. It's available, go to source.indy um, and you can you can look through the source. Um, of course if you get a binary, that still doesn't prove that there is, you know, that there isn't a backdoor in there. Um, So the only way you can be truly certain is if you do compile it yourself, which you're able to do. Um, And that's part of the reason why, you know, I'm talking to you today from Iceland, uh, because we are looking to leave the UK because I can't guarantee that in the next five years we won't get a knock on the door um, saying, here's a bit of code. Can you please include this in the binary that you put on the App Store? Because, of course, David Cameron has explicitly asked for backdoors into messaging technologies. Um, It does kind of suck. We do quite enjoy living in the UK, but uh, we can't, I think, both do that and maintain our integrity in the next five years.
1: Well, in the UK, if somebody tries that on you, you just say no. It's quite simple.
3: Um, If you can't say no, and again...
1: uh, I think you can, and Um, certain people around here have actually said no quite forcefully, so
3: uh, so you can It'll be interesting to see what happens when the investigative uh, powers bill, uh, if that passes, if David Cameron gets what he wants. Uh, we could very easily have uh, a system that, you know, uh, exists uh, like the one in the U.S., or perhaps even worse, where you won't even be able to uh, tell anyone that you got this, uh, this request. Um, I mean, there's a lot we can do to oppose this. Uh, but being a tiny, tiny social enterprise. I mean, I'm the main developer and designer here. Laura is a designer uh, on the project, um, and uh, Joe is one of our co-founders. Um, but, you know, we are so tiny that I can't both potentially fight this battle with the government and build what we're building in the next five years. So that's that's really why we're looking for a place where we won't have to do that. Um, and it may not happen. You know, this is... But I don't like the direction that things are going in.
0: I don't think anyone could have ever predicted, maybe I'm wrong, maybe I'm 100% wrong, but I don't think, I certainly could never have predicted the Patriot Act and what happened. Even after the event, I still would never have expected that. If anybody can say that they saw that prefigured, that's not me anyway. I can't see it.
3: This is what, this is what all, nearly all Western governments are asking for today. We're, we're looking at the prospect of a worldwide Patriot Act um which is why it's it's difficult. I mean I was here I was uh, I just I was at the Icelandic Parliament today um, meeting with uh, the head of the pirate party here. Um, they are very popular in Iceland. Um, she's a member of parliament here um, and we were talking about these issues um, and and really you know nowhere is perfect and I'm not looking for perfection in terms of where we're going to be. I just don't want, um, this to be an active uh, issue that we have to battle in the next five years. It's uh, that that's really my only criterion.
0: I want to mention too that what you and I were talking about privately earlier, which was the uh, the issues with, that were brought up by Dave Tot in response to the FCC. And I don't want to go into a whole thing. We did a whole session on this. Um, and I, if I was a good host, I'd even know the number of it, but I don't. But look back a couple of weeks, and you'll see the Dave Tott uh, FCC response. He put together – first of all, there was a, 250 signers of the petition. Fifty of those people were probably people who invented things like uh, NTP and so on. I mean, there, there are many, many pillar
1: uh, – Yeah, Alan Johnson was one of them, wasn't he? he,
0: he right. I mean, the, this, this was – the Internet wouldn't exist without some of the signatories – and the point is uh, to res- to narrow this down to compress it to just a couple of sentences. The FCC proposed to lock down firmer f- firmware in hi- Wi-Fi routers. And uh, Dave's problem with that is that he's spent his life trying to make Wi-Fi work better, and he couldn't do anything if he couldn't get into the firmware. But the bigger issue is things like backdoors. And the fact that if the FCC locks router firmware, then they can have the uh, the, the uh, manufacturers who build these routers in their pocket and say, here, you know, we have to have a back door, or we have to have this, we have to have that. Point is, uh, this was not a secrecy or privacy issue with Dave necessarily, uh, but more an issue of being able to see what's in there and either make it work better or at least be able to warn people that there is a back door or there is a problem with it. And this is a huge issue, and it's all part of what we're talking about right now. So I wanted to send people over there, check out what Dave has been doing. He's a well-known uh, advocate of uh, of making things work properly. And this often goes against the government, and that was the point I was reacting to, Aral, is that uh, all governments everywhere germany france all western governments i don't know what non-western governments are doing but we can kind of imagine it's probably worse
1: i think yeah I, I think the experience has shown particularly recently that heavy over heavy-handed responses when it comes to things like regulation actually work in exactly the opposite direction it generates more resistance and so you you end up trying to stop I don't know, terrorism or cyber-terrorism. And, and if you're not careful, if you overdo it, overplay it, you end up generating an extra 10,000 cyber-terrorists who just get cheesed off with the uh, regulations that are being placed upon them. So you,
3: there's a balance to be had with all these things. Exactly. Well, and of course, you know, I think it's really important to remember that it's not just governments um, and that there isn't this dichotomy between governments and corporations, as we sometimes think. Uh, I mean, the answer to big government is not big corporations. Uh, they have a lot more in common with each other than they have with us as individuals. Um, so, And there are revolving doors between them. And you mentioned regulations. I mean, the, one of the reasons why we can't have effective regulations today in, say, the European Commission um, is because of institutional corruption. We are institutionally corrupt in our in our state governments in, in the European Commission. Uh, you know we have huge amounts of lobbying by corporations, by telecommunications corporate uh, companies. Um, we saw recently that net neutrality was injured in Europe, uh, thanks to uh, Oettinger. Um And if you look at the number of meetings that he's had with lobby groups uh they're overwhelmingly with telecommunications companies in whose direct interest it is for net neutrality um, to be in, in the way that it was. Um, so, you know, we have uh this huge problem of uh corporate finance uh influencing public policy making. And until we get rid of that, and this is this is actually a, a single issue that Lawrence Lessig in the United States ran for presidency on until recently, um, until he was kind of forced out of the debates by the Democratic Party. Then, um, but that is how important this is. And Lawrence Lessig, if you might have heard of him, uh, of course, uh, was also the person behind Creative Commons. He's a very very smart man, uh, and he's going directly for the core of the the heart of the issue. Um, uh, you know, what we're seeing in some ways is uh, a transfer of power between corporations and government. Um, and as much as we may not like big governments, uh, if we have a democracy and it's somewhat functioning, at least we have some level of agency. Now, they're not functioning well, and it, it's arguable that we have democracies today. But at least in idea, um, we have some agency. Where we have no agency whatsoever is a large corporation. So if we're talking about like a move between a, a transfer of power between governments to corporations, what we're moving towards really is a new feudalism. It's not kings and queens, it's CEOs.
0: I agree. Uh, I'm going to try to see if Tim has anything to say because he's been in and out and he may have a final comment since we're getting coming up to the hour.
1: You can't give Tim the final comment. What's that? You can't give him the final No, we need
0: Carl, but Carl's not here. You no, he, up, a final to, comment for himself.
2: I probably can't actually uh, say anything much. Um, I, have, I have lousy bandwidth and a uh, noisy environment, so probably best to uh, hang out quietly here. Okay, but, uh, and a, beard,
4: a
0: beardless avatar yeah. as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Looking very much like my evil twin there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> With a so, plaid shirt. Well, the good news, Arrol, is that there are lots of people around like you and, and us who have a huge amount of freedom, and we're able to do what we believe in. Um, and I'm pleased to say that today I'm, well, virtually totally unconstrained um, from a legislative um, point of view on, on what I can do. There are lots of commercial pressures on me, but uh, there are ways of getting around those. As we, I think we've shown over the last ten years, we've done things that uh, big corporations don't like, um, but we've continued to uh, to move forward. So, yeah, we've got a lot of freedom, and we're in control at this moment in time. And I think uh, it's people who at the open sourcey type end of the uh, of the evolutionary chain at the moment who are driving a lot of the really good stuff. It's not the large corporations. So I don't know what you think about that. So small people, small skilled people, are extremely important to this
2: so, so I will add something there, which is that um, I've just, on the small people front, just uh, because I felt I could and should, I've submitted some evidence to the House of Commons uh, um, Select Committee on which are reviewing this uh, the changes to the... Um, Inception of uh, Communications Act. Um, so that that's kind of interesting. to See how that whether that's whether it's accepted, whether anybody reads it, you know, whether it has any has any impact or not. Um, but I mean, those those routes are there, and and one one wonders for what effect they they make any difference. Um, I don't know. You suppose you'll never know for sure, but it'd be interesting to see.
1: Yeah, I think that the uh, amongst the population there's this huge distrust of get the government, and what the government gets up to, him. and that's reflected in things like the script of the latest Bond movie, if you've seen that, where the evil global government get together to monitor all the communications, uh, and James Bond pops out in his speedboat with his, his trusty Walter PPK to save the world. Um, yeah, so there's, there's a lot of distrust uh, out there, and and corporations like Google I think, are acutely aware of this. And if they start doing things that are perceived to be evil and approved to be evil, and bear in mind that just making money out of processing information in a useful way that's useful to customers is not evil in itself. Good business models where you make money uh, because you
3: do things in a more efficient way, that's good, I think. I think the key thing to remember is that... um, Google's customers are not, not its users, so... Um,
1: I, 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 I disagree with you. I'm a, I'm a Google user, and that, I, I don't pay them money.
3: That's with them, James. Then you're their customer. Yeah. Um, if you use Google Mail, then you are the product that they sell to their customer. Um, and there is, that's a very important distinction. Um, and you're right. I mean, what you said to me is exactly what Eric Schmidt said to me about a year or so ago. Um, He said, if we become too evil, uh, then we can't find anyone to work for us. And uh, I thought it was quite a a naive statement at the time, but I think what he actually meant was we can't find the best people to work for us, and they need the best people to become what they can become, uh, just like they need a total lack of regulations to become what they could possibly become.
1: Yeah, you're right there. And, And quite often the best people are those people who are very difficult... To pin down and put into a corporate framework.
3: Yeah, so, um, it, it, they do spend a lot of money in uh, indoctrinating the employees that they have. Every week there are meetings there uh, where you know the virtues of Google are are are, are sung, um, and that's for a very specific reason. Again, if if it becomes socially acceptable, uh, unacceptable to work at Google then they're not going to get those people. Just like it's hard possibly for Philip Morris to find the best people to work there, or maybe for Monsanto, or maybe for Halliburton. The same thing will, is, and will happen to Google and Facebook once more people understand their core business model um, and that it goes against some of their their public relations um, that they have. So, uh, again, I think the key question to ask is how do they make money and is that compatible with human rights? And I'm. I'm glad. Facebook do it. I would say no.
0: I'm glad you mentioned Halliburton because I was trying to remember the name of that company because I didn't want to say Monsanto because it's overused and over, uh, over. Uh,
3: Halliburton uh, changed their name.
0: Demonized. Well, no, no, no. But anyway, Halliburton. Uh, the I was about to say exactly that though, and I think there's some truth in both of these uh, sides of the argument, which is, I don't think you know. No matter. I feel, and this is just my feeling. It isn't even that much rational. I don't feel that we could ever, any of us, in any numbers, change Halliburton, what they do, how they get their contracts, or any of that stuff. Even though, supposedly, in a democracy, you should, because they work for a government, right? But on the other hand, I do think, along with James, that if Google became visibly eagle, e- evil, there would be a problem. Not necessarily immediately... Okay, go ahead. think they're too clever for that. They're not the bomb for sure. For
3: uh, you know, and 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 I think uh, they—that's the difference between, say, a Google and a Microsoft. You know, uh, especially in the Steve Ouch. Ballmer days, Microsoft. <laughs> was the best, right. And of course, they got hit with regulations, etc. Um, Google does this in a much cleverer way. Uh, they sponsor certain things. Like there was recently uh, an article about how they're sponsoring—I think it's—is uh, it Freedom House, uh, who has the uh, the country freedom indexes? Um, how they're sponsoring those. Um, they, they sponsor academic uh, conferences academics themselves to write things so they are very clever um, it's not it's not they're not going out there going hey we're going to be evil then they're never going to do that Google's never going to be visibly evil um, unless they really mess up I think it's up to us to understand that they will also not act in any way that is contrary to their core business model and we have to ask ourselves are we okay? okay with their core business model, which is farming people. Um, Are we okay with that being the core business model of Silicon Valley? And what kind of future does that create? Does that create a democracy or does that create a corporatocracy? Because I think we live in that corporatocracy today. And if anything, we have to work very hard to regain any semblance of a democracy.
1: Yeah, I think the answer to that is as long as the output of the process Uh, is useful and serves the people, the people will tolerate it. If there is a stage where um, the end result uh, tips the power too far in one direction towards the the corporations, then the people will uh, revolt against it.
0: It, This sounds a lot like two words, soylent green, soylent green. Yeah, it's the second
3: time I heard that today. Really? Um, Yeah, I think the first was at the Parliament. So, I think the question is, are we okay with the inputs being people? Are we okay with people being wanted? I mean, if you think about it, there was a time, and this was, there was a time, and it still exists today, where we had a very lucrative business of selling people's bodies. And we called this slavery. And it still exists in certain parts of the world, and it's a terrible practice, and most of us agree that it's a terrible practice. no,
1: a different, different thing is that slaves had no choice in the matter but exactly. today you, you have the choice you can opt out of Google and LinkedIn I noted that you weren't on LinkedIn but Laura see,
3: they horrendous user experience but that's that's different um, I mean they do have the same business model but can we truly opt out if all of the alternatives have the same business model because then what we're opting out of is modern life access to modern life and I think that's a problem we and we have to ask ourselves the really uncomfortable question of what do we call the business model of selling everything else about a person that makes them who they are apart from their physical bodies that's the business model of Silicon Valley today that's the business model of mainstream technology and I think we have to ask ourselves what do we call it?
0: I have a challenge for everyone on this panel and anyone else who's hearing my voice let's do an hour on every possible clean alternative to things like maps, social networks, any of it. Uh, because there are open source maps. I don't know. I don't use one, although I have messed with it. But we all know that you can get that, right? Let's say just take that as an example because we don't have another hour. But we could do an hour on this, right? Can I add to that challenge?
3: Let's do that with a diverse panel. Yeah. I don't want to do it, Okay. But I want you guys to take the time, to take the effort, to find experts, a diverse panel of experts across the spectrum here for that one hour, and I would I would love to sit and watch that conversation. Would you promise well, me? Well, well you, can, did, be, you why, can be
1: you can be a part why, of it.
0: You can be a part yeah, of it.
1: Why don't you find the panel? Sorry.
0: Let's all find why it. Did,
1: why don't you go out and find this panel? Because you probably know some, some uh,
3: more I, diverse I, I, people. Not. I can help, I'll be more than happy to, and I'll be more than happy to suggest people who are experts in the area um, and, and so that we can get a diverse panel on it. Um, I don't necessarily have to be on it because there are people uh, who can add uh, who can add more than I can to, say, an all-male lineup um, who are, are we both want experts. Laura. We want Laura. Experts. We want Laura. Laura could be on there. <laughs> she could do whatever. Um, and, and she would do a great job on there as well. So, well, yeah. let's
0: do this. I'm I'm throwing the challenge out. Let's do this thing. Let us organize this. If anybody has any names to suggest, it'd be really great, by the way, and I'm again, anyone who's listening to this, but also for you, Aral and, and for Laura, if you do know anybody, please approach them first because if you just give me a list of names, it's going to be a lot of work and we don't really get paid for this stuff. Uh, but I'm totally willing to spend the time. Once people say, yeah, i would do that, we'll get together and find a day when we can do it. We have up to 15 seats we can do, thanks to Google. <laughs> we could actually Thank do up to 15 Thank you, Google, for that one. Uh, well, yeah, I, we pay for, a- I pay for the 15-seat one. Um, we can
1: uh, we get some people like Phil Zimmerman on. Well, we can, it, Zimmerman if, on. If we, we can get Phil Zimmerman we, on. If we get him on, then you won't get him off
0: again. <laughs> we can get, also get uh, Dave Tot will be a part of that probably, or at least people who signed that list. Anyway, there are many people who could help us out. Andy, you have a final comment because we should probably uh, cut it off here. Andy Abramson, anything?
4: Nothing nope. on this other than the fact that we basically, we contribute the information ourselves. We don't have to worry about Big Brother looking after us. We do it. We contribute every day. There's only one solution. And if you've already been online, it's too late. <laughs> you know, once you're, the minute you register for a social security member, um, the post office sells data to Experian to verify, and then those of us who have taken steps to protect our identity constantly have to find that we are being Um, outgunned or outmaneuvered without our knowing. Uh, You can find things out in strange ways. Uh, I found out that an Airbnb place I rented for six weeks ended up on my credit report and Experian was rather embarrassed that they they got it, which means one of their so-called trusted suppliers of information, uh, a company that supplies, sells them information in exchange for getting information, shared it. I said, that's a vacation rental. Are you telling me every time I check into a hotel, I, that you're going to have that on my credit report? And they were, Oh no. So, so we're giving the information. And in some cases, we don't even know we've given the information. There's no, there's no check some system that says your information has now been supplied to so and so. Would you like to remove it? You could and I'm do. I'm
1: fascinated, Andy. What did it say in your Airbnb report that would be of interest? Mm, mm.
4: No, no. no. <laughs> it, it, it's more of the fact that it showed up, and, and because it's a mixed-use facility, a live-work loft, it's considered high risk. It, it's just all types of things that are wrong with you know, the steps that we've taken to protect our identity.
1: Yeah, um, but the good news is that this whole thing is kind of self-regulating, and as soon as somebody does something outrageous, like the sort of thing that you've just outlined, then there is a backlash. People are aware of this.
4: Well, the and thing is, James, people are not aware of it. That's that's the dilemma. There's no. Um, I, I see Arrol shaking his head. There's we don't know where our information is going. We don't. We don't have. There's. You know, if if I park my car, I know where I parked my car. But I, where I've parked my information, I don't know what they've done with it. And there's no. Communication that says, oh, dear Mr. Bodie, we've now supplied your information to these 13 sources. Well, you don't know what they've done
3: with it. You don't know what they're going to do with it in the future. They Correct. themselves don't know that. Um, and this is where, in, in a democracy, we can pass laws. We can pass laws that limit certain things, that that protect certain freedoms that humans have. Um, and I think this is key. I mean, we're talking about multibillion-dollar corporations here. And saying they'll self regulate. I think that, you know, the state of the world today has shown that they do not self regulate. Uh Eric Schmidt doesn't wake up in the morning and say, How do we better self regulate? No, as he told me when I spoke to him, he says, I wake up every morning and I fight regulation. That's what I do. That's my job. Why do they fight regulation? Ask yourselves that. Right? I mean this is like having a trust in, in, in like a benevolent dictator. Um, the dictator may be benevolent, uh, but I think, you know, we've evolved, hopefully, past systems of government, uh, monarchies, for example, where we have to have that, right? Where we have to say, but the king might be benevolent, um, but, but dad, you know, why dad might be a good person, or maybe not, maybe dad's abusive, maybe the king is not a benevolent dictator. Yeah. Well, I, I think it's
1: clear that the ultimate configuration to be in, actually, is that benign uh, dictatorship, because that's where you, you can operate most efficiently. The problem is that uh, it's very tricky to find a, a good, benign dictator who actually knows what they're doing, and they tend to be not particularly good.
3: I nominate you, James. Uh, we democracies, which is why we, you know, we accept the risk that comes along with freedom and democracy, and we live as adults, not as children, always having to ask please to remain on.
1: Yeah, it's one of the reasons why I quite li- like living in the UK, because we've got a constitutional monarchy, Without uh, which, you know, it's, it's got a whole load of checks and balances, and if things got too outrageous, then the brakes would be put on.
3: Would but
0: the honourable gentleman... These- just to say, about the brakes, we live
3: in the world today where 80 individuals, eight zero, have as much wealth... As half of the world's poorest population combined—that's 3.5 billion people—we can't talk of checks and balances in this sort of situation. We're talking about systemic inequality. You know, we're not. Talk- How can we talk about self-regulation or checks and balances when we live in an entirely unsustainable systemic state of systemic inequality? 80 people as much wealth as 3.5 billion people. That's not sustainable. If the only thing we care about is the future of our species, we should care about these issues. Um, well, you know,
1: well I, I probably disagree with you. I think it probably is sustainable because it's always been that way. And <laughs> <True>. uh, there's, <laughs> oh, a lot, there's a lot to be said about having...
3: We have always had the technology that we have. In the past, if we acted according to our base evolutionary desires, then the most we could enjoy was maybe a village, maybe a town. Today we have the technological ability to destroy our own habitat, not the world. That's what's changed. That's what's unsustainable. Right now we're like bacteria in a petri dish sealed with some nutri- with some nutrients, right? And, it, and the way that that works is generation on generation, those bacteria will grow. They will grow in numbers. They will come to their most successful state one generation before they go extinct because of lack of resources. I think what we have to ask ourselves is, can we be better than that, or do we just go with our base evolutionary uh, desires and say, "Yeah, we'll just consume whatever there is, and the systemic inequality is fine, and we'll self-regulate to that point where we get to our most successful state"? One I, generation. Geez, I, I have
1: a big. Yeah, come on. Just let me get this point over. One I last. Have a, I have a big problem with people saying that wealth is bad because it wasn't for for people with big lumps of money. I wouldn't be able to do all the good things I do because. Uh, people with big lumps of money, allow me to do that.
3: But James, Um, you're saying I have privilege, therefore privilege is fine. No, I think the only legitimate use of privilege is to create a world where you wouldn't have had it to begin with. Um, Wealth isn't necessarily itself bad. We're talking about a distribution problem here. When 80 people have as much wealth as 3.5 billion people, we're talking about something that is is entirely unsustainable. It is uh, indefensible. Um and, and, and it's just not a, a sustainable future for our species. Um, and and those of us who benefit the most from it probably should turn the spot the searchlight, the, the, the spotlight on themselves as much as possible to say, you know, yes I benefit from this system, but uh you know, can we make this into a fairer, more uh, equitable system for everyone going forward? Uh you know, either we survive long term sustainably in, in an egalitarian system Or we will go extinct.
1: And I think uh, having access to modern telecommunications is probably the biggest single um, cultural leveler that um, humankind has ever seen. And all of a sudden, just having access to telecommunications, the ability for people to link and share thoughts and communicate across the globe. Um, it's it really is a game changer.
0: Well, it can be used both ways. I mean, a, a drone can be used to kill a whole wedding party, or it could be used for somebody screwing around to Oh, yeah, and the fuck.
1: Internet can be used to re- well, re- no, 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 no,
0: Wait a minute, let me, my point is that uh, Alfred Nobel, who invented dynamite, right? Dynamite, in his idea, dynamite was used to build bridges, but you can also blow bridges up. So with that yeah. I'm going to I think we should end only because yeah. we could talk about this for 16 hours and I would be happy to do that by the way but no, no one's going to watch No one is going to well we did tech, no tech, one is tech, no one's going to watch a video that's this long that's why but I suggest that we get together this panel yeah, I think that would be well, fascinating uh, Go ahead, Aurel. Ar- mm. You're the guest, and I think you should conclude. Um, okay. The URL is below me there. It's uh, i e. You should go investigate what these guys are doing. Guys, I say guys, I mean both sexes. Hello? Uh, this is just a figure of speech, so yeah, let's not have any Laura? Internet hate. Have
1: well, you got a tie up in a back room or something like that? Liberate yeah. Laura, that's what I say. First of
0: all, let Aurel finish, and he can do what he wants with his uh, spot to finish. Go ahead, Aurel. Um... As Melvin Cranston says, uh, technology is
3: needed to And I think that's the point that you were making, Randy, as well. Um, and that is the key point. Uh, and I agree with James that the telecommunications technologies that we have today are a game changer, which is why it is so important that they benefit the commons, which is why it's so important that people have equal access to them, which is why it's so important that they are not filtered by a very limited number of people, um, which is why it's so important that they're decentralized and not centralized in their nature. So, yes, um, technology is neither good nor bad, but we have to remember, neither is it neutral. And today, it is essential that we have the right technologies if we care about protecting our human rights and democracy.
0: Okay, well, I want to thank you. I want to thank Laura for all of her patience with us over these months. I want to thank everybody on the panel, and we will be back. We're going to do this challenge thing. We are going to bring a bunch of people on and bring on alternatives to all of these huge military industrial complex things. (laughs) Liberate Laura, James says. Uh, Laura, thank you for everything, and thanks to you, Andy Abramson, Andy Smith, and James Bodie, and Tim, who's not with us. We're going to cut this off and move to the Mature Audiences Only segment. Here we go. Randy, cue the video. Hey, that was the bleeding edge of the IP communications and VoIP community. We're at VUC.me on the web. Thanks to Simwood.com, who can turn you as a developer into a telco. Our hosted PBX is provided by OnSip.com. The site at VUC.me is on Bluehost.com. We use ZipDX.com for our wideband, full-featured conference bridge. And our local rate dial-ins are from VoxBone.com. Every Friday, 12 noon Eastern Time, see you next week.